In 1971, a wonderful movie came onto the scene, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yes, does it just have a special place in your heart? How many people have seen the original Willy Wonka? Okay, uh, I appreciate the, the new one they came out with, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but uh, it just wasn't the same. In fact, it was a little scary um, compared to the original. But man, I, I love the original with Gene Wilder, who just recently passed away. And the whole plot is that you have young Charlie, who is poor, and he lives with his grandparents, both sets, and his mom in this small little shack. And news breaks out that there's going to be five golden tickets released, and you would find them in Willy Wonka bars and candy. And these kids are uh, tearing up the candy uh, to get inside of Uh, tearing up the wrapper to get inside of the candy to get that golden ticket. And Charlie is one of those who receives the golden ticket. And there's this mysterious man who comes and whispers in his ear. And we're wondering what he's whispering the whole time. And later we find that out. It's all about gobstoppers. Uh, But the, the best scene to me in this movie is when they open up the door and they enter into the chocolate room. You see the chocolate waterfalls, and you see all the candy in this land, and, and Gene Wilder begins to sing, come with me and you'll see, world of pure imagination. Now I got it stuck in your head, so you're going to be singing it the whole rest of the time? But he sings that song, and they, he, it, would, it would be better if I had the top hat and the cane, because he's walking down the steps, and then he lets them loose into the chocolate room, and they begin to eat, and old Augustus gets down on his knees and starts lapping it up, and then he falls in the river, and he's out, like, right quick, okay? And it gets to the end, and Charlie is the only one left, and it's Charlie and his grandpa, and they're walking with Willy Wonka to the door, and Willy Wonka says, well, have a good day. We'll see you later. There's the door. You can see your way out, and he goes into his office, and that's it, like, story over, you're going, hold on, wait, 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 wait. Charlie gets his lifelong supply of chocolate, which I don't think is very healthy, by the way, but that was the whole premise, right? And so they go into Willy Wonka's office, that weird office where everything was like a half clock and a half uh, sink and a half toilet and everything. And there's Willy Wonka at his desk looking rather distraught and frustrated, his hair all out to here. And we kind of get to see behind the scenes of Willy Wonka. And at that moment, the grandpa goes and he says, hey, what about the lifelong supply of chocolate? And then Willy Wonka looks and he informs them that they broke the rules of the fine print, the fine print that they had to sign at the very beginning. And one actually asked, they said, what does that say? He says, no bother, just sign, let's go. And they moved on. But in that fine print, there were rules. And Charlie had broken one of those rules. And he breaks out his photostatic copy and a magnifying glass. And he says, under section 37B, signed by Charlie, it states quite clearly that all offers shall be null and void if I, the undersigned, shall forfeit all rights, privileges, and licenses herein and herein contained, etc., etc. Facts, mentis, insidium, gloria, compum, etc., etc. Memo bis punter delicatum. It's all there, black and white, clear as crystal. And he tells him what he did. You stole fizzy lifting drinks. You bumped into the ceiling, which now has to be washed and sterilized. So you get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. (laughs) And at that point, they began 
to walk away, and the grandpa looks at him and says, you're a crook. You're a cheat and a swindler. You're an inhumane monster. Wonka looks back at him and says, I said good day. And they begin to walk out. And at that moment, we're thinking, please don't end on that note. And there's little Charlie who comes back in, and he puts the little gobstopper on the table, and then we know that that was the whole big deal. He wasn't going to give away the secret of the gobstopper, and hooray, they go in the glass elevator, and boom, up through the roof, and magically they weren't harmed at all. And then uh, Charlie is given the chocolate factory for the rest of his life. End of story. Here's what I want to point out in that. That fine print, we're so good at labeling our own fine print. We say things, but yet it comes with the fine print. And we're good at being dishonest while appearing to be honest. And this is the point where we get to the third woe today, and that is evading the truth. So the first two woes, we're looking at seven woes here in Matthew chapter 23, if you want to turn there right now. But the first woe that we looked at was shutting the door. This was to the scribes and the Pharisees that were shutting the door of the kingdom of heaven into the faces of the people. And they were saying, Jesus is not the way. And so they're shutting the door of the truth, as if they're standing there blocking, will not let anyone go through. And then the second woe, which we looked at last week, was false identity. That even if you go across sea and land, go on your mission trip, but you can do more harm than good, even when you put a lot of effort into it. And so they were developing a false identity that people thought that they were good with God, that they were okay, but that was false. So we declared that a false identity. And we said that your identity is either in the first Adam or the second Adam. And how we hope it's in the second Adam because that's Jesus Christ. And then today we come to the third word, which is evading the truth. Read with me in Matthew 23, 16 through 22. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. And so the problem that we see here is evasion. And just to define or give you some other words clarifying what evasion is, it's to dodge, to ditch, to excuse, to lie, to stall, or to trick, or cleverness. And we see all types of examples of evasion around us. One that we're very common with, and and we hear all the time, is tax evasion. I'm not sure that any of us really enjoy when tax season rolls around, and We have to give our information into somebody to do the work, and that's the hard thing. I mean, you have to give it to somebody, and and yet even we stall on that sometimes. But then even if you do your own taxes, you have to be very careful that you don't commit tax evasion, putting down the wrong information, whether you mean to or not, or whether you just don't pay taxes at all. That's a tax evasion. 
It's having an excuse for everything. Maybe you're that person that no matter what happens, you have a good excuse to explain your position of why you weren't there or why you said that thing the other day or why you always fill in the blank. You always have an excuse. Why we can't be on time? Well, there's heavy traffic in town. I mean, that's true of Valdosta, but if you've lived in other places, it doesn't seem to be really that good of an excuse. Always having an excuse or or finding loopholes in the system, like we were talking about the fine print in Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Or there's also another term called puffing. And I learned this by talking with one of our men in the church who is a lawyer. And did you know that in Georgia, any statement made in settlement negotiations is not admissible in court. So 90% of cases are settled before they ever go to court these days. You gather together privately, and there's a good intent behind this, is to encourage settlement cases. So you'll see more of these. So you don't actually have to go to court to settle things there. Parties can be frank without worrying that something they say will be used against them later in court. So this creates quite the situation. Unintended consequences is you get a lot of exaggeration or statements that aren't quite true because you can say something there, but then if it goes to court, you're not bound by what you said there. You don't have to answer to it. So there's this term, puffing. The attorney can get away with saying things that aren't quite true because it's mere puffing to build up their case to settle and they know it cannot be used against them later in court. So say, for instance, someone injures their back, and they're not planning to get surgery, but they say there in the settlement that they are going to get surgery, and it's going to cost $50,000. Although they're not planning to receive surgery, they say that they are, and if it goes any further to court and they bring this up once again, they say, I didn't say that. Well, that's not true. You're not held by it. You're not held by it. And once again, we find ourselves in situations where people call us onto the carpet and we say, I I didn't say that. And, And for the Pharisees, that was them. They would say things. They had very specific ways of making an oath. They would not make an oath by the altar, by the gift on the altar, or not by the temple, but the gold of the temple. And then they would come back and say, no, 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 I can, I can get out of this because I'm not bound by that oath because I didn't make it by the gold on the altar. There were loopholes, ways of getting around an oath, getting around speaking the truth and convincing themselves that this lying was okay. Maybe you've convinced yourself that lying is okay. And I get the sense that when we talk about lying, that we think that's really not a big deal, but I think it's a lot bigger deal than maybe we realize. That there are people who have a lying tongue, and it's, they're so accustomed to it, they don't even realize that they're lying anymore, or that there's no conviction when they lie. And as followers of Christ, it is important for us to speak the truth, because Jesus is calling them out, and Jesus has no need to lie. He can't lie because he's God. And he's true, so why would he ever lie? And as we being Christ followers, there's no reason for us to lie, to cover up, to create loopholes, to always be filled with excuses. We can be honest. And so, with this, scribes and Pharisees, as they created a unique system, 
being a debased system, they could live by a different standard. They had a different standard of which they could live by and others could not. William Barclay calls it the science of evasion. And this is what he has to say about it. He says, the general principle of evasion was this. To the Jew, an oath was absolutely binding as long it was, as it was binding, a binding oath. Broadly speaking, a binding oath was an oath which definitely and without equivocation employed the name of God. Such an oath must be kept no matter what the cost. Any other oath might be legitimately broken. Here was the idea. The idea was that if God's name was actually used, then God was introduced as a partner into the transaction. And to break the oath was not only to break faith with others, but to insult God. So they would say that if you're swearing by the gift, or if you're swearing by the gold, then God's not involved in that. He's only involved if it's by the temple or by the altar, these things. He says, woe to you, blind guides, you blind fools, you blind men. So three times he says that they are blind when they're the ones to have the insight, when they're the teachers of the day. And he's saying, you're the blind guides. You're the blind leading the blind. That whole statement came from Jesus. Matthew 15, 14. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. That's exactly where they're leading people, to a pit of destruction. And Jesus didn't come to lead people to a pit of destruction. He came offering eternal life, giving of himself, the way, the truth, and the life. But you see, their blindness had nothing to do with their eyes and everything to do with their minds. He's not saying that physically you're blind. He's saying, no, spiritually you are blind, and it deals with your minds. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. My dad used to make this statement when he'd ask me to go get something, and I'm looking, and I'm going, where is it? I don't see it. And then he comes up, and he picks it out, and normally it was right there in front of me. And he was saying, son, if it were a snake, it would have bit you. And here is Jesus standing before the Pharisees. And he's saying, if, if I were a snake, I'd bite you. I'm right here. I'm right here, and you don't see me. 1 Corinthians 4.4, 4, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Do you know that Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers? He is at work doing that. You say, oh no, I'm free to do whatever I want to. I can make my own decisions while you're blinded by Satan. To keep you from seeing the light of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And the truth is, we've all been bitten by the snake. We all have been bitten by the curse of sin. We are all blinded by sin. So are we without hope? No, because Jesus came to bring renewal to the depraved mind. That's what he came to do. In Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing 
you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So do you see the comparison of the two? Satan is blinding the minds. Jesus transforming, renewing the mind. Is your mind being renewed by Christ today? Or do you have a blinded mind held in the grip of Satan? The science of evasion is not good and acceptable and perfect because it is not in line with the will of God. We are not to evade the truth. Barclay goes on, he says, the whole idea of treating oaths in this way, the whole conception of a kind of technique of evasion is born of a fundamental deceitfulness. The technique of evasion may suit the sharp practice of the world, but never the open honesty of the Christian mind. So no one has to teach us how to lie. But we need to be taught how to share the truth. We need to be taught how to be honest because we get it natural. When we lie, when we say something we don't mean, I'm just, I'm looking at my five-year-old the other day. We're sitting at the table and I hear him say something and I hear him say it word for word. I said, son, what'd you say? And he rephrased it and I said, no, what'd you say? And he rephrased it. I said, no, son, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, I know every word you just said. I'm asking you to be accountable for what you just said. And now you're looking to me and you're not telling me the truth. He said, man, you're ratting out your son in front of everybody. Look, this is all of us. (laughs) This is all of us. We all do this to some extent. We don't want to be held accountable for sharing truth, for things we've done, for things we've said, for things we've thought, things we've meditated on. Maybe the real us. We don't want people to know that, so we're dishonest. And this was the Pharisees. Oh, they had all kinds of things in their lives that they kept hidden. And so they had this clever way, and then Jesus goes on to explain. He says, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. And then he speaks of the altar. He says, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. What does this mean? They considered that the temple was of God, but the gold of the temple was not. They considered that the gift on the altar was not of God. It was of man, man bringing this gift. But the altar itself was of God. So you had to make a distinction in order for them to get out of their oath. So I'll make a promise on that gift right there, but not on that altar. You understand what I'm saying? Just just know what I'm saying. And then Jesus is coming along and he's saying, God owns it all. He owns the temple. He owns the altar. He owns the sacrifice. He owns the gold. Everything that you're mentioning here is under God. So you're breaking your oath. This is dishonest. This is trickery. This is not of God. So one thing we see is that it's failure to honor God. It's not letting your yes be yes and your no be no. Matthew 5, 37, Jesus said, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Now, there is value in making a covenant. You enter into a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. This is not going to be broken because it's based on his truth, on his promise, on his word. You enter into a marriage as a covenant not to be broken because it's held by the truth of God's word. 
We have covenants that we make. Nothing wrong with a covenant, but when we are living our lives and we always feel like we have to swear by something, something higher so that people will believe us, there's a problem. You should simply say yes when it requires yes and no when it requires no. Yep, we blur the lines. We find our loopholes. We have our good reasonings for why we don't speak the truth. And you say, yes, be yes, and no, be no, do you get this posture that it's praise to God? You are honest. It is a testimony of the honest God that we serve. But when we fail to honor God, it's due to our effort to honor self. It's lying for personal benefit. It's to save face. It's to evade a problem. It's to gain a mere, uh, material possession. Some believe, some commentaries believe, that the gold that they're speaking of here is not the gold that was on the temple, but it was actual gold that was being brought to the temple. Actual money that they could collect for themselves for personal benefit, or that gift could be something for personal benefit benefit for material gain. Either way, I think there's a material gain by being dishonest. You're gaining something. You're holding on to something, which is the reason why you don't want to say what is true. Students, maybe you do this with your parents. They ask you something and they just want the truth and you won't tell them the truth no matter what because you're afraid of what you may lose. These men, they felt like they had something to lose if they spoke the truth. And here is Jesus, who is the truth. And he gives his life so that we may speak the truth. Save face, evade a problem, gain material possessions. You see, we think that we are evading a problem when truly we are creating a bigger problem. Anybody ever been caught in a lie? Okay, I know there's more. Okay, some people don't want to raise their hand today. All right, we get, we get caught in a lie, and then we have to cover ourselves, and we have to remember what we said and backtrack, and then somebody who's smart enough, they're, they're going to catch us eventually. That's why I ask a lot of questions. When my boys tell me something, and I know that I, I just ask questions all around it until we get to right there. There it is. See? Now I caught you. <laughs> bigger problem. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. Pause right there, okay? He says on the altar and then he is saying by the gift. But then when he gets to the temple, he says by him who dwells in it. Because the temple is not about the gold that we bring. It's not about anything that we bring. It's about God. Him being honored. Him being praised. Him being lifted up. Him dwelling among us. 
Whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. He owns it all. He owns it all. As Matthew Henry points out, Christ is our altar, our temple, for it is he that sanctifies all our gifts and puts an acceptableness in them. Those that put their own works into the place of Christ's righteousness and justification are guilty of the Pharisees' absurdity who preferred the gift before the altar. Do you prefer material things over a relationship with God? I think that's what it whittles down to. Would you rather have stuff, accumulate stuff here on this earth, more and more stuff because you know that when you get that next item, it does satisfy for a time being. And then you want something else and then something else. Is that what you're going after? Is that what you're spending your life on? Stuff? Or is a relationship with God more valuable than anything? Relationship with God, is that what you desire? Because when you enter into a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, you have nothing to hide because you come to him and you die to yourself and you live as Christ. Understand this, without God, there is no temple. There was no physical temple, temple number one, or temple number two, or depending upon your eschatology, whether there will be an actual physical temple number three on this earth, or that we are the temple in which the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Understand this, we're no temple in which the Holy Spirit dwells if there's no God. But if he wanted it this way, there could be God. There could still be God without a temple. God is still God without you. God is still God without me. How does that bode for our self-esteem today? How do we feel about that? There's great comfort in that truth. There's great comfort in that. To that I say, hallelujah, amen, praise the Lord, you are most high. So, how can we speak the truth and be an honest people because we look to a God who speaks the truth? How do you know? How do you know? How do you know that you are a Christian? You know what it whittles down to ultimately? God's Word. God's Word. Say, Jesus died on the cross. Yes, because of God's Word. God's Word. Jesus rose from the grave. Why? God's Word. Jesus is coming back. Why? Oh, uh, uh, God's Word. Yes, God's Word. That's how we know. That's what we stand on. So if you fear that you're kind of coming in and out of salvation, I feel saved today, I don't feel saved today. He loves me, he loves me not. Whatever it may be, however you're bouncing back and forth, it's not dependent on you. It's not on your word. It's not on your actions. It's all on God's word. And if you believe his word, if you trust in him, if you place faith in Christ Jesus and the 
good work that he has done, you are saved. Make the good confession today if you believe this. If you believe this in your heart, then say, Jesus, you are Lord. God, your word is true. Make the good confession today. Be saved for all of eternity. Today, make it known to God. But it's all on his word. That's why we can be honest. That's why we must be true. That's why we must not discover loopholes for hiding things in our lives. Because God's not doing that. He is straightforward in what he has done, sending his son so we place our faith and trust in Christ. His word is true. Paul writes a letter to the Corinthians, but they didn't quite get it. So he writes a second letter. It's called 2 Corinthians. We don't always get it first time around. So he writes another letter. This is what he says in 2 Corinthians, verse 1, starting in verse 15. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. I was vacillating when I wanted to do this. Do I make my plans according to the flesh? Ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. The Son of God, Christ Jesus, whom we proclaimed among you, Sylvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. Verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. Who is him? Jesus. Not Paul, not Sylvanus or Timothy. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Man, that is so good for the follower of Christ. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. Jesus Christ came and fulfilled the promises of God in the Old, in the old, the old, the old Testament. You see all the promises in the Old Testament, and there's only one who could fulfill them, and that was Jesus, and he fulfilled every last one of them. God fulfills his promises. You do not have to fear that he's going to fail on the promise that he has secured you for eternity if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You don't have to worry, is is God going to back out of this deal? He's going to say, no, I I was going to save you until until you act like that. and And then you say you're sorry, and then more of it. You know what? I'm done. You've hurt my feelings. I'm angry. You've offended me. Right? 
I'm done. I said I promised you, but I'm going back on that promise. God doesn't break the covenant. We're covenant breakers. God is not. That's why he made the covenant. He made the covenant. So David Platt had a little to say about this passage as well. He said, these men, these man-made rules about oaths were, quite simply, an attempt to justify sin. The same thing can happen in our lives when we think, I suppose that's technically a sin, but everyone does it, and it doesn't seem like a big deal, so it's okay. Sins like gossip, gluttony, small white lies, and materialism might fit in that category for us. I just want to pause right there before I read this next statement because those things don't seem like a big deal all the time, do they? Gossip. What's the big deal? I'm just sharing what I know. To what benefit? Why? Why are you sharing what you know or what you think you may know or you don't know, but you're just going to say it anyway? You know, I used to think that gossip was for maybe the younger crowd, but (laughs) I'm learning that you don't ever outgrow gossip by age. Christ can do a work in us to heal us of our gossip, I always remember this story my pastor told of a lady that um, was watching the pastor's kids and she came across some information and she didn't know the whole story, but she went and told people in the church and, and the word spread very quickly and it got back to the pastor and he went to her and he said, did you say this? And she said, yes, I did. And she said, please forgive me for what I have said. I am so sorry. That was not the truth thought it was the truth, but it's not. He said, I forgive you, but here's one thing I want you to do. I want you to take this pillow, this feathery pillow, and I want you to go downtown. And when you get downtown, I want you to cut this pillow open with its feathers, and I want you to release it. And then I want you to come back to me. And she thought it was just a strange request. So she goes and does it, and then she comes back, and she says, okay, here's the empty pillow. And he says, okay, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back downtown and I want you to collect every last one of those feathers and put it back in the pillow. Stitch it up and bring it back to me. She looked at him and she says, I can't do that. She says, I'll never find every last feather. And then it dawned on her what the whole exercise was all about. Yes, you say it and you think you can get it all back, but it spreads and it's out there. And our words do mean something. Gossip. Gluttony. I'm so tired of hearing people use the excuse, well, gluttony never ran anybody into a ditch and they died. But you know what? It's not being a good steward of your body. And in gluttony, what we're doing is we are trying to just, just feed away our doubts and insecurities. It's just the same way as any other substance. It is a big problem, and it's really nothing to laugh at. But we laugh at it, and we treat it as if you get drunk is this type of sin, and then gluttony's like somewhere down here. Hey, yeah, God doesn't mind because, you know, I mean, we're going to go through what we go through and we're on about our next day. I mean, it's not that dangerous that I commit gluttony, is it? Sin is sin. 
And yet even us ranking sins of how bad they are, whether you think it in your mind or you see it on a screen, or you enact it in a room, sin is sin. That's our loopholes. Our little white lies. Our love for material things. Our love. Our, oh man, our gratification for material things. Are we not a materialistic people? Are we not? Think about the things you want. Think about the things you're not satisfied in right now because you don't have something material. Flesh. We are material. We adjust to sin because it's common to us instead of fleeing sin because it's repulsive to God. What a statement. So maybe, just maybe, in your life right now, there are certain sins that you're not disgusted by. You're simply not. You commit them and you just keep going. You're like, that's no big deal, whatever. Here's what you need to do. Here's what I need to do in these things. All of us is we need to pray, God, these things that disgust you, may they disgust me. Give me this disgust, Lord, for sin. Give me this hatred for sin. May I despise the sin. May I not entertain sin. May I not flirt with sin. May I not sit there and go, well, I don't know. Should I? Shouldn't I? Run. Lord, may I run from sin. That's what we need to be praying because the truth is there's just some things we don't hate like we should hate. That's honesty. What if you got in your community groups and said, listen, this is a sin that I don't hate. I don't know what people would think of me. They can think what they want to think. Maybe your problem is that you care too much about what people think. That's why we're dishonest people. And the Pharisees cared every bit about people and what they thought about them. So they were honest as long as it was convenient. Here's some encouraging news. God is the truth. Amen? Are, are we unsure of that? I didn't, I didn't hear you. Amen? Amen? Here we go. Yeah, God is the truth. Maybe we are unsure of that at times. Here's good news. God doesn't hide anything in fine print like Willy Wonka. God's not a crook. He's not a cheat and a swindler. He's not an inhumane monster. He is the truth. His love, His grace, His mercy, His power all on display. God does not have to be dishonest with you. So how do we know? He didn't put it in fine print. He made it public. He sent His Son, Jesus. The Word became flesh. And He was public. He publicly lived His life. Three years of ministry was public. 
He publicly died on a cross. He publicly rose from the grave. He publicly came and met with 500 witnesses who saw him with their eyes. And then they went and they lived publicly for the name of Jesus Christ. And more people lived publicly. And more people lived publicly. And you today live publicly for Jesus. And one day publicly, Jesus is coming back. He doesn't hide it in fine print. He doesn't have to because he's the truth. There are no loopholes with this gospel. Man, when we believe this, we then go speak the truth. Church, we need to speak the truth. We need to speak the truth. There are about 90,000 other people among us in this community of Lowndes County that do not attend a local church. 90,000. Why don't you just go home today and start counting to 90,000 and see how tired you get? People need to hear the truth. But not only do they need to hear it, they need to see people living by the truth. Living by it. That what they say and what they do matches up together. We need to speak the truth in our community groups. We do. If you're dodging, evading a community group right now because you're afraid of the truth, repent. Look to Jesus. Confess. You need to be part of a community that speaks the truth, lives out the truth. We need to measure all of our sin against the backdrop of Christ's work, not each other's work. Joby has better days than I have. And then there's some days I have better than Joby. It doesn't do any good, does it, Joby, if we compare our works to each other, right? It doesn't do any good. I appreciate a brother in Christ who will come to me and speak honestly. And I need to speak honestly to him. We need to speak honestly to each other and measure our lives against the backdrop of Christ's work. Why? Because God is faithful. God is faithful. So listen, maybe in your marriage right now or in your home, you're looking to your spouse, you're looking to mom or dad or to your child and saying, well, they're not faithful, so you know what? I'm not going to be faithful. (laughs) At work, well, nobody speaks the truth there. (laughs) So I ain't going to speak the truth. Well, you know what? We live in a nation of dishonest people. Our leaders are corrupt. You know, what what does it matter? Because God is faithful. God is faithful. So honor your word. There's no reason for us to evade the truth. Just as God honors his word, we are to honor our word. Don't desire to be tricky. (laughs) No, be honest. Can I speak to parents for a second? This is something that's been heavy on my heart. You have children, and you tell them you're going to do something, will you do it? Will you do it? If you tell them you're going to hang out with them, will you hang out with them? 
don't give them some excuse of something that came up and why you can't hang out with them and how you'll do it later. Don't be that. Don't be that. If you tell them that you're going to discipline them, please discipline them. Or when we get home, <laughs> you getting it, boy? <laughs> it's never fun. It is never fun to discipline. But when you tell your kids you're going to discipline them, follow your word. Don't lead them down this path where they can keep going further and further to see how much they can get away with. Make it clear your discipline in the home. When you make a commitment to a friend, keep it. And I just repent. I'm not good with time management. But I don't speak to you because I do all things right. I'm speaking to you because God is faithful. But when you say you're going to be somewhere and what time you're going to be there, be there. We are now in a culture that when you say, I will meet you at this place, it doesn't mean that when, if you meet at noon, it doesn't mean that 10 after noon, you're calling and saying, I'm almost there. I mean, that happens every now and then, right? I'm guilty. Don't smile at me, Job. Quit, right? All right? I'm guilty, okay? But the pattern continues and continues. Honor your word, even in the small things. Honor your word. Honor your word. But in the greatest of confessions that Jesus Christ is Lord, honor that confession by living out the truth. Amen? And if you have something to hide, the best thing to do is to confess that sin. It may be painful. It may hurt. But we confess our sins one to another so that we may be healed. Let us not evade the truth, but uphold the truth as we look to Christ's example. If you're here today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, what you've heard today, you can live out the truth because of what Christ has done. If you believe what he did on the cross, make the good confession, Jesus is Lord. You want to check that on your connection card today and say, I want to know more about following Christ, or today I made the good confession, whatever, you, you put that there. Uh, we're going to be situated in the room. We're going to have some pastors up front and some in the back and some counselors. If you want to come talk to us right now, we, we make ourselves available. Come talk with us about following Jesus. If, if you are struggling right now, and maybe this really hit something with you today, I don't ask you to come forward and rededicate your life. We don't do rededications here at Perimeter Road Baptist Church because I don't believe that the Bible supports rededication. I'm just going to tell you what Paul says. <laughs> Get up and keep going. Get up. Keep running the good race. If you need help, and I'm, I'm so serious on this, that if you need counseling because you are struggling with telling the truth, come see us. Me, the staff, your community group leader, come see us. To the Christ followers in this room, follow faithfully this week. I hope this word is an encouragement to you, a challenge. Let us go forth and make disciples. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this time. And Lord, we thank you that we can stand boldly in the truth. We don't have to be like the Pharisees and the scribes thinking of ways of how we can get out of our word. Lord, your word is true. May we hold to our word. May we be Christ-like examples as we go day to day. Lord, this message hits heavy on my heart. 
Lord, I ask you, forgive me where I fall short, Lord, of not honoring you and honoring your word. Lord, may we be a people that take this serious, but may we have such great hope in knowing that we can live out the truth and there can be healing, that we don't need these loopholes. We have the gospel. We have Jesus Christ. I ask that you work in this room at this time in Jesus' name. Amen.